Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. If I've not met you before, my name is Rick, and I'm one of the pastors here, and so thankful to be leading the service with you this morning, whether you be joining us online or in the room. We're going to play a game this morning, and I'm going to show you some pictures of animals, and I want you to figure out which animal represents you well, or which animal represents you the best. So, so what, what we're going to do is when you see the picture of an animal that you feel represents you well, then I just want you to put your hand up. And, actually, wait, let's have some fun with this. Let's do this for the person sitting beside you. So if you think that the, the, the picture, uh, and, and not just like looks, but like if, if that person embodies what this animal represents, then I want you to call the person out beside you. And if you know that person well, then this will be good. And if you don't know the person well, this is a chance to make friends or enemies. So here we go. First, first picture, who is sitting beside somebody that is like a golden retriever, like a golden lab? They are the kind, gentle, quiet, loving, caring, big, nice. Who's sitting beside a golden lab, golden retriever? Hands up, all the room, even if you're, if you're online, participate. We've got a lot of golden retrievers here. Then if, if the person beside you has their hand up, that should be a compliment. Now, as we move to the next picture, I'm not sure you're going to be as compl- uh, feeling as complimentary. Who is sitting beside... Oh, we've got... Right away, hands on right up. Somebody that is full of energy. They haven't stopped tapping since, since you sat down. And they, have, they love to bounce. They love to play. They might have ticks. I don't know why you have your hand up in the air. But, but somebody is representative of a spider monkey sitting beside you. Okay. Who is sitting beside a bear? Who is sitting beside some, like a big, strong person that's a protector, but, but maybe deep down there, this kind, loving person? Anybody sitting beside a bear? You've got hands up in the room. Okay, yeah, we do. We, we've got some bears in the room. Okay, next one. All right, hands down. No, no, no. Hands down. I don't want to see anybody with those hands, right? Let's just go to the next one. There's no, no pigs in the room here this morning. Who is sitting beside a puppy or a kitten? Somebody that just is playful and soft and they love to have their, they love to be uh, petted and saying, yeah, we love you and we love playing with you. You know, the, the truth is, is that we are all a mix of all kinds of animals. I saw some people pointing towards me when the monkey picture went on screen and I know we, we, uh, some of us would represent different animals, but there's definitely a little bit of puppy or kitten in me. I like it when people like me. I love to be loved. And if you come and hug me after the service, I'll know it's forced and not genuine, so don't even bother, okay? You just leave it alone. But if truly, I love to be loved by people. And it was one of the difficult things for me when I came to faith was that I had to adjust because to be a follower of Christ, what I started to understand was that there were going to be times when my faith and the lifestyle that I had to live to become a person of faith was going to be at odds with other people who didn't have faith. And it meant there would be times when I were going to have to choose between true to what the Bible said and who the Bible said I should be and having the love and or respect of my friends or family who don't share that same faith. Now, I know that at the heart of Christianity is love and equality for everyone, and everyone should reciprocate that back. But we recognize as we go through the course of our lives, they don't. 
And the pressure begins to build on us sometimes from, from those who would put pressure on us to conform to be like one another. Not, not, we're not wanting to cause conflict around us, but there are times when conflict is put into our lives just from the simple fact that I'm trying to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. And sometimes when that happens, we begin to act out and in response to those pressures. And if you're a puppy, you might bite. And if you're a bear, you might growl. And if you're a monkey, you just might pee all over everything. I don't know how you respond. But when the pressure mounts, you respond. And depending on where you grew up in the world, you would have a different understanding of what it means to be pressured or persecuted for following Jesus. One of the organizations that we're, that we're kind of aligned with in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada is Open Doors Canada. And Open Doors is an organization that works with churches and works with um, spreading the gospel into nations where it is the most difficult or where it could even be illegal to, um, to, uh, to preach the gospel. And they gave us a map that we're going to put on the side screens. And if you want a map or even a detailed copy of this map a little bit um, a, with, that goes into detail for each one of these countries, you can get that at the information center after the service. But some of you might see your own country where you grew up, where you were born, where you spent time living represented on this map, and you would understand what it means to have pressure be, to become a follower of Jesus. And they rank every country all across the world, and there's a rating system that's allotted to different countries based on the type of persecution they face, the legality of Christianity in that country, the size of the group that is opposing them, and the type of aggression that they face. And... and so for some of you, you would say, no, I absolutely understand what it means because I left that country to come to this country. And as you'll see, Canada and is, is not highlighted. And even North America, the only place in North and South America that is highlighted, we've got Mexico and Colombia there. It's just starting to become a reality on this side of the world. And I don't know if you've been, you've been tracking some, some of the stories that have been in the news where, where Christianity has faced difficulty in Canada, even in this past calendar year. Who's aware of the Summer Jobs Program, Canada Summer Jobs Program, the, the, where, where the government gives grants to organizations that would have students come and work for them every summer, and they would get job experience in a field that they might be interested in. And we, as, as Portico, we regularly apply for grants, and we have six, seven, eight, nine students, depending on the different year and what we get approved for. Well, this year, there was an attestation that was, a, that was attached to this, to this grant, and we had to say that we would attest to the fact that, um, that we would tick a box saying that we attest to the reproductive rights of all Canadians and the rights to abortion as a part of our grant program. And that if we didn't sign, the, if we didn't tick that, we, we, we didn't only have our grant denied, our grant application was not accepted. And there were 41,000 organizations that applied this year, but a record 1,500 organizations didn't even have their application accepted because we would not tick the box saying that we are attesting to this right, which is not a constitutional right in our country. So we as a church, we lost seven or eight jobs. Some of you as students, you were saying, yeah, I was planning on working for the church and I lost that opportunity. We, we probably lost $35,000, $40,000 that would have been given to us as a church simply because we felt that doesn't represent our faith in the message of Jesus well. It's beginning to become a re reality in Canada. I don't know if you followed the story of Trinity Western University, which is a liberal arts college out, out, out west. And their school just lost their particular battle with the gov government, wanting to be able to have their graduates practice law 
in Canada. Their student covenant requires that they stay sexually abstinent and not engage in homosexual relationships while they're on site and while they're a student at Trinity University. These are Christian young people wanting to study education in a Christian environment. In fact, they wanted to study law at Trinity. They they wanted to be trained to practice law, but the government ruled that um, anyone that studied there would be too prejudiced to be able to uphold laws that would be equitable for all Canadians if they studied in that kind of environment. So they're now trying to do the fallout. Where do we go from there? And I want to show you a statement that was made by one of the heads of the Trinity Western Law uh, Program once this ruling just became official about a month ago. This is something that has been a dream of mine for 25 years. So I'm very disappointed to see the end of this dream as it was. And I hope that there is a way that we can still start a Christian law school in Canada. Um, But obviously the Supreme Court of Canada feels that there would need to be certain restrictions on how we would be able to. So what do we do? What do we do? What's our response when the life of following Jesus bumps up against the life that you want to lead in Canada or be it whatever country you're living in right now? How do we respond when those two things seem to be at odds with one another and the pressure builds up? We're in a series this fall called This is Living, and we're looking at how do we live with joy when we're in the midst of difficult circumstances. And we're following the life of Paul when, when, when Paul started this church in Philippi, and he went in there, and, and there, was, there was no church to speak of, and he began the church from humble beginnings, and then they were thrown in jail, but then they were freed from jail, and now he's writing them a letter. He's back in jail. He's back uh, on the other side. He's crossed crossed the sea, he's gone back and he's writing this letter to them now as a church saying, here's the way that we can continue to live with joy and can live with excellence in our Christian faith as we respond to the pressures that build up in our lives. So I want you to open your Bibles, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be at the end of Philippians 1, and we're going to roll into chapter 2 as well. And we're just going to keep our Bibles open this morning as there'll be two or three times when we'll be going into those texts. And I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation Uh, today, and I'm going to be starting at verse 27, Philippians chapter 1. Here's what it says. I've I've got a few portions highlighted. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. I've got that line highlighted. Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then when I come and see you again, or only hear about you, I will know that you are, I've got this highlighted, that you're standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. And this will be a sign to them that are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it because, of course, he's writing from jail. So context. This church in Philippi would not have been an easy place to be a Christian. The Roman world would have laughed at their faith. They would have laughed at their practices. They would have said, you guys, you're following some kind of Jewish cult. We're not sure why you're trying to bring that into our great Roman society. So they would have, it would have cost them socially. It probably would have cost them a little bit uh, financially. There would have been restrictions placed on where they could meet, how they could meet, what kind of boundaries they would have had about what they could and couldn't do. It would have put them at odds with their society. And this is a society where the most 
highly uh, prized thing was Roman citizenship. And you'll hear this uh, reference in the Bible. You'll hear this reference in, in, in timepiece movies like Gladiator. That, that to be a Roman citizen meant this. And if you were not a Roman citizen, well, you didn't have the same rights and privileges as, a, as other people. In fact, Paul himself, the only reason why he wasn't killed much earlier on in his life was because he was a Roman citizen and he had the right to trials that others didn't have. In Latin, it was this, civis romanus sum. And you could quote that if your liberty was ever threatened, if your freedom, if your rights were ever threatened, you could just say civis romanus sum. And that meant you could call on all the resources of the empire and all the rights that anyone who was a part of that empire should have, and you would have to be upheld to that standard. So verse 27, what does Paul say? He says, I want you to live as citizens of heaven. He's making a very drastic contrast. I don't want you to live as proud citizens of the kingdom of Rome. I want you to live as proud citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So, so take everything that should give you stability. Take everything that should give you freedom. Take everything that should give you identity, your, your, your citizenship of Rome. And I want you to exchange that to become proud citizens of heaven and take on what that gifts you, the, your eternal hope and eternal security, but it might cost you something here. And then recognize this. And if you're taking notes, filling in the blank, here's our first one. That trusting Christ guarantees that I will be treated differently in this world. If I become a citizen of heaven, if I align myself with Christ, if I say I'm trading in what the world can give me for what Christ can give me, it guarantees that I will be treated differently by the people of this world. So let's put ourselves into the story of the people that we know who were living in Philippi. First, first there was Lydia. Lydia was from Thyatira. This is a city in Asia. That in a, there was a thriving church there. This was a place that Paul visited on his first missionary journey and established a church there. And it's one of, the, one of the churches that had a letter written to it in the book of Revelation. And in fact, Paul had intended to go back to Thyatira in the second missionary journey. But if you were with us on the first week of September, we, we studied how the, the Holy Spirit said, no, you need to go north and then cross into Macedonia. Didn't go through Thyatira, but went in and then established this church here. This is where Lydia was from. So she met Paul as she was down on the Sabbath, and she had this beautiful uh, conversion experience. So on Saturday, she, she finally understands who Jesus is. She invites Paul back. They have, they have dinner. On Sunday, the first day of the week, she would have gone back to work. What would her business, how would her business have been affected when she goes back to work on Sunday? So now people would have gotten word that, that Lydia had this conversion experience. She's now a Christian, which is some, something that we don't fully understand. But all we know is this guy, Paul, showed up. And in fact, he's causing trouble down in another area. And he was thrown in jail, this guy. And now she's following him. And do I want to buy, she was a, she was a, a textile sales. She was into fabrics. Do I want to buy from Lydia at this slot here? Or I could just go down to one of the other fine Italian sales people. Like, there's Anthony. Anthony's a wonderful guy. I'm going to go buy from him. Or the, there's Flavia. She's got, she drives a Maserati, Maserati and makes pasta. I, she's a true Italian. I want to I shop from her. Would she shop from Lydia, who's aligned here with the Christians? Or would I shop from somebody else? It could have begun to cost her financially. Or what about... Or, what about the Roman jailer that we know? His only task was to make sure that Paul stayed in jail and was brought to trial so that they could make an example out of him. And when this earthquake happens and the whole, all the walls fall down and, 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 then, and Paul could have been set free, but, but he stayed there. And then this jailer has this faith conversion that we read about in Acts a few weeks ago. And then he comes back and they, again, he becomes part of this church. 
it would have cost him his job. His, his one job was to keep Paul there, and he not only lets Paul go, but he goes with him, and, and, they, and they begin this church. It gave him his life, cost him his job. And it's funny that Paul specifically mentions a few church leaders. If you read the entire book of Philippians, there's a few people that he specifically calls out, but neither this guard nor Lydia, who were the initial, uh, who the, the ones that established the church, neither of them are mentioned. And it makes me begin to wonder as I study this, were they even there anymore? Did they have to leave the city where they started this church because their faith decision and their, their decision to follow Christ had cost them financially and cost them socially? They were spiritually freed, but they were culturally trapped. And when you get into circumstances where you're, yeah, I'm spiritually free, but, but my culture makes me feel trapped or even feel pressured, this is where we begin to consider, would I make compromises in what I know to be right and true because it's costing me something through my culture. For those of you who would be in sales and business, you would have to entertain clients. And if you, there's a certain expectation that clients would have when they come into town and they want to be showed a good time and they want, and they want to go out here and they want to have access to this and this and this. And you say, I'm not sure that I can entertain clients the way that my business wants me to and still be the person that I feel like I'm supposed to be as a person of faith. So what do I do? I'm spiritually free, but I'm culturally trapped. Or you say, I'm, I'm, having pre- I'm supposed to be working every Sunday. I'm never sure that I can be at church to serve in the church, to be a part of this community. And if I try and block off every Sunday, I'm going to make enemies at work and I'm going to have to work on every other holiday. What do I do? Do I make enemies at work? I want to be spiritually free, but I'm culturally trapped. We understand that, we, that in, in, our, in our schools, in our, in our workplaces, there are, there are spaces where people of all different faiths can get together and pray and, have, and they have prayers at different times during the day, different times during the year. But we feel as Christians, we don't have the right to say, I need a space where I can study the Bible and pray because we don't necessarily feel like we have that same liberty. Again, spiritually free, culturally trapped. And Paul is writing to the, the Philippians because he knows this is what they're facing. And let's look at what he says when he writes to them. He says, when you face this kind of pressure, when it begins to build up, stand together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. And don't be intimidated anyway by your enemies. This is, this, is what Paul, this is what Paul writes to them because he says, look guys, remember, pressure is going to come. And when it does come, don't give in. Don't crack. Remember to lean on one another. The strength is there. Two are greater than one. Three are greater than one. The entire body is greater than one piece of the body. He says, when you're a follower of Christ, be the church that stands firm together. Understand that pressure will come and then stand firm because you are one. Here's what Jesus said to that, to that extent in John 15, 18, and 19. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. So as it is, you do not belong to the world. And that is why the world hates you. If you feel like you no longer fit sometimes, you know why it is? It's because we don't fit. Because we're not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. And Paul is such a funny writer. He calls this out. He says, not fitting and, and, and facing this kind of pressure, this is a gift that you have. Look at it in, in verse 29 and 30. He says, For you have not only been given the privilege of trusting Christ, but the privilege of suffering for him. The, the, the privilege of having something taken from you. And he goes, We're in this struggle together, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. And Paul wanted us to know that to live this life 
means to expect that we would be pressured and we should feel like outsiders at times. So then the one place where any follower of Christ should never feel like an outsider is when we gather together. If, we're, if we feel like outsiders at every other turn, whether it's in our school, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in our homes, if we feel like an outsider, the one time when we should always feel like we're an insider, we're included, there is unity, is when the body of Christ gathers together, whether that be in a home, in a small group, whether that be in a church, we should understand that there should be unity. So if following Christ means that the world will have a difference with me, then our second thought is this, trust in Christ demands that I live in unity with others. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. And Paul writes this letter to the Philippian church because the pressure had gotten too much for some of the followers in Philippi. And they began to turn on one another. So think this through. When you have your backup, when you always feel like you need to protect, like you always need to defend, like you always need to be on guard every day of your life, when you walk into a place in a meeting like this, it's hard to just drop that at sometimes. And we still have this feel like I may need to defend and protect my position here. And what was happening in the Philippian church was they were beginning to have self-centered conversation or judgmental conversation. And they were picking and choosing who could be included in their midst, who was going to be included in their unity. And there were squabbles over issues that were not about were you a follower of Jesus, but squabbles over issues about who had prominence or who got their way. And Paul says, guys, in the church, it's not this way. Let's continue reading into chapter 2. Remember, this is all one letter. We, looking back on it, have added chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. This is the very next sentence after he says, you're going to face persecution, and this is your privilege of suffering for Christ. Here's what he says. So is, this is verse, verse 1 in chapter 2. So is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? These are all rhetorical questions. And then he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves, and don't look out for your own interests. This is his instruction to the church who was feeling the pressure mounting around them. And he asks this because he says, if, if the pressure is expected, if it's actually part of the privilege of following Christ, then shouldn't there be some benefit of being with Christ? Shouldn't there be something there? And the answer is yes. And the answer is it should be the unity that we experience with the other believers. And the unity should be the exact same as the unity that is experienced in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Three separate, unique individuals that are unified together as one whole individually unique, but also altogether whole. Paul says, have one mind, have one purpose, agree wholeheartedly as a body of Christ. And many of us would say, well, that's really easy. If everyone just thinks and acts and talks like me, well, it'll be fine. <laughs> that's unity, right? Just be like me. And, he, and, and Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't get caught in that. He says, he says, don't be selfish. You want unity? Don't be selfish. He says, you want unity? Don't be humble. Says you want unity? Don't look for your own interests. The one place where you should feel like you could like you could walk in and just be favored and just be loved is when you come into a gathering of the church where the unity should be the thing that we prioritize over absolutely anything else. 
And in a church like this, where there are 2,000 people meeting in three different services on a Sunday morning, where there are two, three different locations where we are meeting, where we are actually a part of a greater church, where there are millions of Christians worldwide, we should understand that in our midst this morning, there will be people that look different, sound different, think different, and worship different. But if we come together with one purpose, and that only purpose is to know Jesus and to make him known and famous in this world, then that should be the only thing that matters to us. Remember last week, Paul was saying, focus, I want you to focus on what matters, understand what matters, and that's knowing Jesus and making him known, not the differences that we might experience. Dan Kimball wrote a book, and this is what his title was, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. (laughs) And the premise is this, that there are, there are millions of people across the world who are open to the message of Jesus, the grace and the truth of Jesus, but they have a problem with the way that they see Jesus represented in his followers. They want to follow Jesus, but they can't seem to fit in with the followers of Jesus. And the more, this is what he wrote, the more that we focus on what we stand for instead of what we stand against, the more we will line up with Jesus and his teachings about the kingdom of God, and the more we will be seen as a people who believe in truth and love. And here's the paradox of the gospel. Be separate, but bring unity. <laughs> You're separate from the world, yet bring unity wherever you go. And the goal is never that we would compromise on our faith. The goal would never be that we would say, yeah, they're, they're, I, I'm just not going to let the Spirit of God refine me and, and, and continually examine me and how I should, how I should live and how I should follow. The, our goal is to daily open ourselves up and say, Holy Spirit, show me how I can become more like Jesus. Show me how you want to refine me. Show me how I can be closer to you. But our goal as a church should be to fight and protect the unity for anyone who would want to participate on this journey, whether they are on step one of this journey or whether they are on step 100,001 of this journey. The goal should be that each one of us steps in here and says, I feel part of the body while I'm here because unity is the most important thing. And Paul, Paul knew this battle all too well. Remember, Paul was a Jew and he was, he was going to, he was, here, here he is in, in, in Greece and they were having this debate. There were, there were Jewish Christians who couldn't reconcile the fact that for thousands of years, their ancestors had followed this, this code. And if you wanted to get to God, there was a series of practices you had to go through day by day to make sure you were clean or un, to make sure you were clean and to abstain from things that made you unclean. And, and you had to do this so that you were holy and you didn't want to make yourself unholy. And then Jesus comes and he says, listen... I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice. You don't, you don't have to measure up all these things and say, I'm offering this sacrifice to account for these sins. He says, I'm doing all of that. And the only thing you need to focus on is would every day you remind yourselves that I laid my life down for you and live a life that is worthy of that sacrifice that I made for you. Don't, don't, don't count all the sin and figure out and measure it up. Say, just focus on the sacrifice that I made for you. That's the only thing you need to do every day. And the Jewish Christians were having a difficult time understanding the Greek Christians because the Greek Christians have been living this typical Roman life that involved wild parties. And in fact, if you go into some of, some of the practices of their, of their religion, there were some things that were pretty awful that did not represent Jesus well, and they started to bring that into the faith. And so the Jewish Christians were like, I'm not sure how this is all one faith. And so here's what they wrote, Acts 15, 1 and 2. They said, unless you're circumcised as required by the law, 
You cannot be saved. So, so they started to bring something else onto the gospel message of Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas, they disagreed with them. They argued vehemently. Isn't that a passionate, great word? <laughs> like, like passionately, they said, they said no, you, you can't bring something else to the gospel message of saved by faith alone. But what they were saying is, we'll include you in this as long as you look like us, sound like us, and act like us first. One of the most difficult things is that when we share a message like this, there will be many of us that this rocks us. And we say, I, a message about grace rocks us more than a message about truth and judgment. Because we say, how do I, how do I reconcile that, that, that none of this is important? Well, it's not, that, it's not that living the life and having our life continually examined and refined by the Spirit is not important. But the message of grace is as equal to that message. And any individual who wants to follow Jesus, who walks in these doors, we deserve to feel like an insider. Any individual that comes in. Because everyone who walked through these doors, yourself, myself included, the only reason we have a right to be here is because one, at one point we humbled ourselves and said, I'm not worthy of God's grace. And Jesus laid down his life for me. So thank you so much for loving me. And that was our step one. And so if it's good enough for you and good enough for me, it better be good enough for the person who is with us this morning that doesn't even know how amazing the message of grace is. You're just here, just exploring it. And our job is to protect the unity of that person, of the unity of all of us for that person. I have a friend I met last June as our band comes back. He was a total, total atheist. Had no understanding. He said, you know what? I'm just packing it in with all kind of organized religion. I'm tired about it. And, and for some reason, he was starting to look for truth in all different places. And he landed in the Bible, something he had never read before. And he had discovered truth like he had never found before in the Bible. And he said, this, this Bible is, is changing the way that I think and the way that I feel. And, and so he called a church looking for a pastor. He said, would you just come and meet with me and talk to me about what it says in the Bible? So I said, absolutely. Let's go. We went and we met at Starbucks and I heard his story and I heard his views on life and I heard his views on the shape of the earth. And I heard his understanding of how the world functioned and how, how he thought the conspiracy behind the leaders functioned and it was full of F-bombs and full of a whole bunch of stuff that I necessarily can't agree with. But he believes in Jesus now. <laughs> So, yeah, absolutely, praise God. He's, he's my brother. And he's my brother that I don't bring my daughter around all that often because I don't want her to hear some of the way that he talks. And I don't want, <laughs> and I want her to keep understanding the world like this. But uh, <laughs> I'm so proud that we have a church where my friend can come and serve and where my friend can come and learn and where my friend can come and grow. Because in an instant, his soul was revolutionized. In a moment, he was made pure and holy in the sight of Jesus because he confessed his sin and said, I'm following Jesus. And in four months, you should not be shocked that his lifestyle has not changed that far. <laughs> but he's regularly opening his life to the Spirit of God and saying, show me a little bit more about what it means to follow. Show me a little bit more. It's not, not my job to come in and say and, and come in and mess that up by saying, I want you to do this, this, and this, and this, and then you can come and be one. No, let's be one at Starbucks right away, and then we'll figure it out, and we'll let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you. And this is, this is what Paul is writing about. This is the beauty of the church. Don't fight with one another. 
Let's not criticize others, trying to make them more like we are. But as Paul says, with a compassionate, humble heart, let's favor one another. Let's demonstrate the same grace that Jesus demonstrated to us. Because in a church like this, there's a group of people, you weren't born at a hospital. I think you were born at the church. Your mom was here serving at church, had you, and then went back to serving. And, and you've, just, you've just lived, you've just grown up in church. Everything you know is church. You, you've served since you, were, since you were able to walk. Then your mom got you serving with a right, right alongside her. You've been on missions. You've memorized scripture. When the offering plates are passed, you give 11% because you just want to make sure that you're doing everything to the absolute best of your ability. And yet, you still need that same grace. And you know what your job is? You know what your function is in the body of Christ? Fight for unity. Fight for the unity. Don't fight to make people look like you. Fight for unity. That anyone that walks in here would understand that same grace. I first walked into a church when I was 13, 14 years old. And there was, I've told this story many times, there was a girl that I started to like. And a lot of the boys who knew me went to that girl and her family and said, Make sure she stays away from that kid because he is a bad kid. He's going to be a bad influence on her. And I came to faith and I started to understand the high price with which my life was bought. And so over time, my life began to, not in one day, but over, to, over time, my life began to change. And there may be some who would be in this church that you're just in this first steps of following it. And, and you know what our job is? Fight for unity. Don't, don't, don't look around and say, who's judging me and how can I judge? Fight for unity. If you're on step one, if you're on step 100,001, fight for the unity of the church. Because to follow Jesus means we're going to feel separate from the world because we're not citizens of the world. So our role as a church is to fight for unity with everyone around us that would understand that we are a follower of Jesus, full of grace. Inside the church, our differences, they don't divide us. Our differences don't mean disunity. With one mind, with one purpose, we will love one another and diversity can be our strength. Have you ever heard it said that the messenger is the message? Ever heard it said that the messenger is, is actually the message? That is n- no more true than when we're speaking about the message of Jesus Christ. You and I are, as a follower of Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks truth and speaks love and life through you. And as we treat one another, we are the message of Jesus to the, to the world. So without judgment, let's consider others better than ourselves. With all humility, let's extend grace to everyone that we can. Because the grace that is inside of us has the power to change lives. Can I pray for you? Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your church, not just those who are gathered here. But Father, I pray that you would make us one as you are one. Jesus, help me be less concerned with what I want, with how I feel, with what I am concerned about, and more with what the person who is unlike me wants, and help me favor another person. Spirit, take my eyes off the shortcomings that I see in others around me, but help me daily be reminded of how I undeservingly received your grace, so that I would extend that to other people. For, Lord, we only gather for one reason, to make you great, and to make your truth known to everyone we come in contact with all across this world. We thank you, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.